On today's show, we are talking about WNBA rosters and where we find that elite collegiate talent, the players, the draft picks, and sometimes when you go looking for them, they can be hard to find. We're also going to dive into some news and notes about the Chicago Sky, and it starts right now. Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, everyone. I'm Missy Heydrich, women's national basketball correspondent for at the next and so happy to be here on locked on women's basketball with all of you it is friday may 27th thank you for making locked on women's basketball your first listen every day we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts and you can follow me on twitter at missy hydrick and be sure to follow everyone at the next at the next tubes and this podcast at locked on women's basketball i am so happy to be joined today by James Kay, one of the outstanding journalists that covers women's basketball with us at the next and also for the Chicago Tribune. And then in his extra time, he's the co-host of the Skyhook podcast, the Skyhook pod podcast, which covers anything and everything you need to know about the Chicago Sky. Hi, James. Thanks for being here today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to dive into all things Sky and WNBA expansion. I mean, there's so much to go dive into. So I'm excited for this. Absolutely. Okay. So I, I've always found this topic to be very intriguing because being someone who kind of lives and breathes the collegiate side of the universe all the time, we talk about elite talent and all of these players that we just assume are going to, after outstanding collegiate careers, are going to jump, jump onto a WNBA roster and have a fantastic professional career here in the U.S., now, we know that so many professional careers for many years happened overseas. They still do. But I think there's always been this assumption that that elite level of talent and those players, they stay here in the WNBA, they build those rosters, and it's all part of it. When I start diving into some of the numbers, it becomes incredibly interesting because when you go back and look, now I went back to last year's draft and then I went to this year's draft. So I'll give you a couple of numbers that I got into, and then I want you to start to tell me some of the things you see and maybe like trends and what the timing might be of all this and, and what some of the reasons are that you hear from front office individuals, player personnel. We talk about 2021. So when we when I went back and looked as of mid-May this year, in round one of the 2021 draft, seven of the 12 first round picks are currently on the original roster of the people that drafted them. The second round, one of 12, is on the original roster that uh, drafted them. Round three, zero out of 12, okay? So if we go back a year, someone like a Dee Richards, who was drafted in the second round, she is still with the New York Liberty. But there are a couple players that we know maybe find other rosters in other places. But my question to you is you think about a year ago, and then we think about this 2022 draft, what might be some of the, what is the reason why we think that some of these players aren't necessarily being able to stay in the WNBA or latching on to roster somewhere else? 
I think there are a lot of reasons for it. But one of the things that I want to point out too, when we go into this discussion as well, especially when evaluating the draft over the last two years is COVID, you know, COVID had such a dramatic impact on how coaches were able to evaluate talent. And that even extends to the, like the college level for college coaches trying to evaluate high school talent and not really not being able to do so. I mean, you look at someone like Anissa Morrow, who is, became uh, a national sensation last year yeah. at DePaul University, where, you know, Duke came in at the last minute a week before she committed to DePaul and was like, we're interested in you. But she couldn't go out and see the campus and see if it was a right fit for her. And not to say that she would have picked, um, you know, would have picked Duke or anything like that. But right. um, th- there's it's so complex when you factor COVID in. And even talking with Kathy Engelbert yesterday, she was like, you know, we're recovering after two years of dealing with COVID and we're still in the midst of it, obviously. Um, and, you know, New York, especially that where she's from, you know, and I think that has a lot to do with it. Like just Absolutely. trying to recover from COVID to get the train back on the tracks a little bit. And um, I think that is a huge element to like when we talk about roster expansion, it's like, OK, let's talk about how um how we got back to this point where we can even have that conversation after the league really dealt with some financial woes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you think about it, is it seems to me some of it might also just be about timing. We can, if we remove kind of like the COVID scenario out of it, we start thinking about specific teams and specific rosters. They start making those decisions a draft pick looks great on paper. They might get them into camp and say, you know what, this isn't necessarily the right fit. Currently, you know, you had the Indiana Fever who their first three, their first picks, they had three first round picks in the 2022 draft. All three of them still on the roster, still active. That isn't necessarily the case with everybody else coming out of 22. So what makes that maybe that team, that roster, that franchise different than maybe others? I think they just had a lot of flexibility in terms of their long-term plan versus some other teams. You know, I mean, you look at, the Chicago sky. I mean, they, they traded their first round pick this season in order to get Julie Alamon, which the, the, that transaction itself makes a ton of sense. But at the same time, it was also just going to be really hard to keep that pick on the roster because of the financial implications of that. Cause Julie Alamon is actually cheaper to keep to roster on a WNBA roster compared to um, whoever the, that first round pick would have ended up being. So yeah, I mean, the Indiana Fever, you look at them and they just ha- I mean, they are a clean slate. They have a couple of contracts like with John Tell Lavender and Daniel Robinson, where, you know, they have money attached to those two players and Kelsey Mitchell, too, who's going to be on the team, I believe, for the next three years. Mm-hmm. But I mean, outside of that, you your team hasn't been good for a couple of years and you have you can't keep all these pieces on the roster because, you know, it the formula doesn't quite add up to right. what you want to do. So for the Indiana Fever, I mean, yeah, they're they're working and they're operating at a different level than everybody else when it comes to draft picks and them getting four shots in the first round or the four shots in the draft um, to find top tier talent. I thought was a great strategy, even if you have to let go of some of the players in the end. So I actually think that we might be going in a zagging in the other direction in the future with this for some of these teams that are rebuilding their foundation. Where okay, we know that it's realistically we're not going to be able to keep every pick or um, we're not going to be able to keep all of our picks from the year before, 
why not just keep taking swings until something hits? And we've already seen that happen with Destiny Henderson, who I saw last night look phenomenal. Same thing with Emily Engsler. So I kind of, for the Fever's perspective, I think a lot of people criticize them from holding on to all those picks. Yeah. But it might actually be the strategy of the future. So I think that's what, uh, that's what makes their situation pretty unique. Yeah, it really does. Now I went back and looked and like, if we went back a year ago, and you talk about a player like Dana Evans, you know, she was drafted in the second round, doesn't stay with her teams, but now she's on that Chicago Sky roster, being an impact kind of player in the professional ranks, just didn't necessarily wasn't the right fit a year ago. It seems as though that we do see that quite often, right? Is that someone was drafted uh, with one team, they get cut, they don't make that roster, but they're able to find themselves somewhere else. Is that just, is are those going to be blips on the screen or is that also going to be part of the trend you think as we go forward? I hope it's a part of the trend just because I want to see more people have opportunities in this league. And it's so difficult with where everything's at with cap space right now, where you see a lot of the top players in the league get what they want in terms of star money, um, relatively speaking. They're obviously worth more um, than what they're getting right now. But you see some of these other like veterans who have played over three years in the WNBA or their veteran minimum is $12,000 more than a player that's played zero to two years in the league where they get to make 60,000. I mean, that's just a competitive advantage for the younger player because there's a 12,000 difference in the, in the cap where, um, you know, someone like Dana Evans, like I think that that to me seems like a more of an outlier situation because I mean, there's a lot of teams that would have just given up on her being a second round pick and right. for James Wade to actually trade for her. That actually was probably more of a financial pick, a financial um, minded trade than anything else. Just knowing that Shyla Heal, I mean, she was targeted on the defensive ends that Stephanie Watts really didn't play that well when she was with the sky and she came over in the Gabby Williams trade. So they struck out, but then they it's a really unique situation because I think it speaks a lot about Dana Evans more than anything else. Her taking the opportunity she had being traded in the middle of the season, taking the reins of a backup point guard position that the sky have been searching for for so long and actually coming out the other end where she comes into this season as the clear backup point guard. And that to me, like, I just don't think we're going to see a lot of situations like that because of how unique that situation was, especially given the sky's championship expectations. Absolutely. Talk to me a little bit and just give me your thoughts on a player like coming out of this 22 draft. Just, you know, it seems like it was forever ago, but it was really probably maybe what, eight weeks ago when we actually had the draft. Um, Veronica Burton has a fantastic senior season at Northwestern. She's now with Dallas. So she still can, she's a, a round one pick, but doesn't necessarily stay with the team that initially took her. Is again, does that go back simply to roster management? Is that a matter of timing? Is that someone looking at a player like Veronica Burton and saying, you know what, we just, she wasn't what we thought she was going to be? Where does that lie in some of those decisions, you think? You know, I think that these teams have to be really creative with the cap. And I think Kurt Miller said it best when he said, not like we, roster the players not they're not always going to be the best players it's just what fits the puzzle and when you look at veronica burton i had a chance to really watch her a lot at northwestern last year and she she comes in with WNBA level defense immediately i think that even when we talk about other rookies in this league 
from one through five, you can't really say that. They have they need time to develop. The speed of the game is so much quicker. And when you look at Veronica Burton, what she brings on the defensive end, it's just like, oh no, this kid is ready to go immediately. I was just shocked to see a lot of like teams like kind of pass on her, especially a team like Indiana, who went into the draft saying we want to draft more defense and be tougher on the defensive end. And then you pass on Veronica Burton. There are probably a lot of factors that went into that, but yeah. um, you know, someone like Veronica Burton, I think she's going to be in this league for a long time because of that. But if she goes to a different situation, if she's not on Dallas, who, I mean, Dallas also was dealing with their own roster complexities. It's just like, I don't even know what happens with Veronica Burton. If she's even on a roster right now, just given how tight everything is on these <laughs> going one through 12 in the league. I mean, there are teams that probably would not have been able to afford to keep her on the roster. And that's kind of the dilemma that we're in right now with some of these younger players that are going to be coming into the league, hopefully in the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. So I told you the 21, here's the 22 numbers round one, eight of 12 are on their original rosters. The teams that drafted them round two, five of 12 on the original round three, one of 12. That one is Amy Atwell of Hawaii. She is on the Sparks roster right now. We also saw something very interesting happen with the Minnesota Lynx. After a couple games, they have a complete one. I mean, it was like throw it up in the air and start over. Hannah Shervin, who had a fantastic career as a, one of the top mid-major players at the University of South Dakota, drafted in the third round by the Lynx. She's a Minnesota born and bred kid. She's cut after probably about 10 to 12 days of camp, but then they bring her back in a hardship scenario all of that just continues to kind of feed into this, as you were saying, yeah. when you have this elite level college talent, where does it go? I don't think overseas is necessarily the answer to this anymore. I talked to Trisha Liston about two and a half years ago, and those who don't know who she is, she, I think she's like a top 10 scorer in Duke's program all time. And she said that, it, and a lot of players have echoed the same sentiment, just that the mental hurdle you have to have going from playing in the NCAA tournament one week and then the next you're getting drafted and then then you're thinking about what you're going to be doing overseas and the mental toll that takes on you. I can't even begin to think about what that would do to a player and someone to continue to want to uh, continue your basketball career domestically is just right. such a daunting task and it's also kind of great to see some of these players, like like these mid-major players, come out of nowhere, um, at least on the national radar, and just be like, this. They make it. They turn into a success story, and yeah. it gives you hope. And any player that I don't think the WNBA is a league anymore, where if, if you're not a top twenty-five prospect or top one hundred prospect coming out of high school, that um, it means you're not going to make it to the league. I think it's the opposite right now. And it's pretty exciting, honestly, to see some of these players make it onto rosters. Like, honestly, when you told me a third round pick was on, was rostered, yeah. I was shocked. You just never see that anymore, you know? And it's pretty, I think it's, it says a lot about where this league's at, where it's also trying to, again, the creativity of trying to make all this work where there's third round players are worthy on being like worthy of taking a spot on WNBA roster. And that's how deep, you know, the women's game is on the NCAA level. It's how deep it is overseas. I mean, Misty, we haven't even talked about someone like Rebecca Gardner who went undrafted in 2012 at a UCLA and is now 
a potential six woman of the year candidate right. with the Chicago sky and has had, I think 10 points in four of her first five games with Chicago. It's not even just competing against your draft class anymore. The one before it or the one after it, it's we're talking about Everybody. overseas. We're talking, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, the landscape, it's so complex, you know, it's so complex and you have to find talent where you can, wherever you can. And, uh, you know, whether it's the third round or finding some, someone like Rebecca Gardner in Spain, it's like, there's you just a lot know. of I, I, I think that's part of it is maybe you never know. So let me ask you this question because I've mm-hmm. been asked this and I think it's a hard one to answer. So I'm curious what your reflection of it is. Um, for college players, and you know, we get a lot of this conversation. It happens so much in, in especially in men's sports, about players leaving early. You know, mm-hmm. I've had people ask me that. Well, do you think she would? So and so, do you think she would leave early to go the WNBA? You know, which you can do after completing three years of school, and they become eligible for the draft. For those that didn't know, um, and I think that's a hard one to answer because it has to be a case by case basis. But I think. If I'm if I'm hearing you right and understanding and knowing the complexity of caps and what these rosters have to look like, that trend of people leaving early is not going to really happen in the women's games like it does in the men's. Absolutely. And it honestly shouldn't hit for some of these younger players that have WNBA aspirations before they want to graduate. I understand that you look at the NBA side and you see a lot of these younger players, Missy, who really idolize a lot of players on the NBA side Yep. and they see the money that they're making coming out of high school, going assigned to the G league where they're make a half a million dollars. And you think like, I don't want, I'm not interested in pursuing a four year degree at this point in my life. I want to just play basketball without having to think about all the stress that comes with, managing a course load on top of all the games that you play for a span of five months. And I understand like being envious of that too, but if you, it's also, it doesn't matter if you're a first round pick. We saw with Kaiser Gondrzek last year, the fourth overall pick just get cut because she couldn't stay on the roster. And there was a lot of things that she was dealing with in her personal life. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's an extreme example too, but like no pick is safe in this league. And if you can continue to make the NIL money that these kids are making right now, especially in the women's side, I, I just doesn't make sense for you to just abandon that right now. I believe that 18% of NIL d- deals on, for social media accounts, I think it came from like women's basketball and that Paige Beckers was the person that made the most money off. Uh, she made the most money per social media post per, throughout all of college sports. Mm-hmm. It's just really hard to abandon that kind of money. And you see a lot of players in the WNBA post about like, if I was making NIL deal, like NIL money back in the day, I might not even have to play overseas. Like there's money that you can even just gain before you have to put yourself in that situation and go through a grind of an 11 and a half month season or 11 and a half month year of just playing basketball constantly. Right. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Okay. So I want to tell everybody a little bit that this episode with James, who has been so gracious to come on and chat with us, is brought to us by our friends at Built Bar. And I don't know about James, but I do love chocolate. I like brownies, but I do love brownie batter even more. So (laughs) Built has this new creation, and it's the one that's better than ever, the brownie batter puff. And you heard me right. This puff takes protein bars to a whole new level, and they're available right now at Built.com. 
have you tried them? I'm not sure what you're waiting for. They are chocolate covered marshmallow protein bar. And that's right. You get flavor of marshmallow covered in 100% chocolate. So it's 140 calories, 17 grams of protein, only seven grams of sugar. These brownie batter puffs are the perfect pick-me-up for any day. Covered in 100% real chocolate, which sounds fantastic right now. And that means that you were built, you can eat healthy. So I want everyone, think about it. Go to built.com to get your brownie batter puffs now. And use the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and you get 15% off your order. So use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. I am Missy Heidrich, so happy to be joined today by James Kay, and thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Make sure to also go check out Locked On NBA Big Board. Host Raphael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Big Board newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA Draft, which is coming up next month the mock draft, player rankings, and of course, big boards. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, James, so you are the expert, the man that knows each and everything about the Chicago sky. So as we've been talking here about rosters, one of the things that's very interesting to me about the WNBA in general, and we know that this coming, is some of these generational players that are part of dynasties of the WNBA, they're getting older. It just happens to all of us. We all age. And then (laughs) retirement is coming around the corner for some. Uh, I did a little bit of deep dive and I went and looked at some of the ages. So we look at someone, we know Sue Burt is going to be heading towards probably the end of her career. She's 41. Diana Taurasi, 39. Uh, Brianna Stewart, she's like a spring chicken. She's 27. (laughs) Uh, Alyssa Thomas, who is having a fantastic season so far. She's 30. But then there's someone sitting right there in Chicago with you, and that's Candace Parker, and she's 36. So tell me your thoughts on this woman who just coming off a triple-double. She's the leading scorer and rebounder for this for the, w, the reigning WNBA champs. What does this season look like with Candace Parker healthy? And what happens for this for this franchise going forward? I've, so I've spoken at Candace four or five times, just one-on-one since training camp. And the thing that I think comes up the most whenever we talk is just how the sky were so bad last season. Like these, she kept, she keeps referring to them as a bad team and that they were so much better than the 16, 16 outcome that are the 16, 16 record they had coming into the playoffs last year. And I would agree with that. I mean, when, when they were health, when she was healthy, they would just batter teams and it was so hard in the second half of the season for them because they were still learning how to play with each other it's a little bit of the situation right now with Emma Miesemann coming into the fold and um, I know she's she's talked to me a little bit about how she's still trying to figure things out even playing with some of her former teammates overseas in Allie Quigley and Courtney Vandersloot but with Candice she's playing some of the best basketball of the last seven years of her career I mean I think it's fair to, to refer to her as an MVP candidate, a way too early MVP candidate. And and I, th- I say that for a lot of reasons. Like statistically, she's doing things on both ends of the court that as a communicator on the court, that's something that on the defensive end, like now that I can finally be in person for some of these games, like and seeing this team finally be fully healthy, 
you see her, the way that she communicates and keeps everyone calm and collected on the court. And then, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. She had a, her second triple double um, against the Washington Mystics the other day. And even a game like last night going against the Indiana Fever, I mean, she thinks she put up 15, 6, 7, 3, and 3. It's just unbelievable what she's been able to do. She told me she doesn't even run five on five in the offseason anymore. You know, this is someone that, you know, that's holding it together physically. She puts yeah. so much effort into that. Like the the resources she puts into that mm-hmm. speak for themselves. And something that James Wade, even last season, talked about a lot. Um, so I think that we have to start talking about Candace Parker as an MVP candidate and not even just the stats, but the narrative of her potentially retiring at the end of the season, which you know, she, I think she's still leaving the door open based on some of the conversations I've had with her. But um, yeah, I think, I mean, she's an MVP candidate and it's going to be interesting to see if the sky are able to run it back, if she's able to get those honors. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So they sit at four and two right now, a couple, the two with close losses, also sort of those blowout wins that I think it was an 83 50 win over New York. But when you look at this schedule, even just maybe in the next couple of weeks, because we know that these WNBA calendars are packed. I mean, there's not going to be a lot of rest from here to the end. So where are those, some of those potential bumps in the road? They play on the 28th on Saturday, they play Las Vegas. Who really starts to be some of those teams and those matchups that they have to key in on going forward? You, you said the matchup that was that immediately comes to mind. I mean, it's the Aces. This is going to be one of their first true tests of the season. I wasn't high on the Sparks heading into this year. I thought the spectrum of opinions was fascinating to see some people say this is a championship team now and the others being like, what's temper our expectations? I fell towards the latter. So to me, this is like one of the biggest tests that they have um, all like all of this um, 2022 season, honestly, because the Aces, they're, they're they have a historic offense right now. They are playing their starters an insane amount of minutes right now. So I'm going to be curious to see in that matchup how does the Aces, how do they take out a Sky team that just put up 32 points just from the bench last night and goes one through ten and is able to throw you so many different looks. They can go. Big if they want to, they can put Emma Miesemann, Candace Parker, and Azrae Stevens on the floor together and just make it put up a wall in the post where you can't score in the paint. Or they can go sort of small and they can have Allie Quigley, Courtney Vandersloot, and Kalia Copper just burn you with their speed. And I don't think there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to f- able to counter that come po- like come playoff time. And they just got Kalia Copper back, so we talk about the best offenses in the league and looking at it right now, the sky have the fourth best net rating at 7.3. I think that number is going to shoot up over the next two weeks when not only they get Kalia copper into the fold for that next two weeks, actually, after she missed the beginning part of the season, but also getting Julie Alamon back, who I think is just going to do wonders for them as a combo guard. So to me, the aces, I don't, I don't actually think they, I wouldn't, bet on them heading into that matchup against in Chicago against Chicago. And I just don't know how, if you have to play your, any, like you have to play your starters 35 minutes a game, if you can counter what this guy can do with their bench production. Yeah. Well, and when you start talking about, you know, work minutes and uh, you know, that kind of the, the load management, that's going to be important as the season goes on, seems to me, not only are you talking about load management for someone like Candace Parker, but 
the impact that a player like a Courtney, Courtney Vandersloot has for Chicago, it's going to be critical, A, for her to stay healthy, and B, to continue to kind of run the show out front. Absolutely. And one of the things that has been a really positive sign for the sky early on is that they're not running Courtney Vandersloot into the ground. There were times where they just could not take her off the court. Over the last three years, we're not talking about just last season. We're talking right. about since 2019, anytime Sloot comes off the court, it is just the wheels fall off on the offense. And they've been searching for that backup point guard for so long. And that's why Dana Evans, just to bring it back from earlier, I mean, yeah. her coming in last season, just being a, a living and breathing heat check, is just, it, it does wonders for this team. And Courtney only played 21 minutes against the Washington Mystics, and the Sky still won. I can't. I have to go back and look at the numbers. And I started to do a deep dive into that because for something I'm working on for the next, there are not a lot of games where Courtney Vandersley just played 21 or less minutes and the sky actually won those games. So right. it is for them to be able to manage her early on. And she, and she is battling a foot injury still. Um, you know, she had to do extensive rehab in Russia before she could, before she returned in January. This is a really strong and positive sign for the sky as they try to, become the first team to repeat as champions in over 20 years. Which would be fantastic. I mean, I think those are the types of storylines that continue to grow the WNBA because we see that people are looking at these, you know, these marquee players. And this is a franchise with a marquee face in Candace Parker, but also some outstanding supporting talent. And, you know, so it kind of, it goes back to that conversation we had just a few minutes ago about building your roster, understanding what that looks like a year from now, if Candace Parker does decide to retire, then this sky roster may look very different because they'll have the ability to use that cap and to change some things and how they approach it. But for right now, it seems as though they built what they wanted to build, understanding who they have and kind of where they want to go. Absolutely. And I think we also have to get credit. Like James Wade won the off season as, I mean, if he doesn't win executive of the year, um, I just don't know what the voters are seeing, but um, I mean, you have to give credit to someone like Allie Quigley who easily could have got a maximum contract somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Had a historic shooting season last year. I think she shot over 45% from three on like four, like five or six attempts. It's an unbelievable. She took $135,000 this year, which is just 60 to 70 thousand dollars under her market value and you have to to buy in that way for someone like maybe emma misaman a 2019 finals mvp to take probably less than what she could have gotten out there the sacrifice on this team is just unbelievable and even azrae stevens who is now coming off the bench for this guy and is after starting for this team in the playoffs last year and helped lead them to a championship or one of the leaders of, on that team as they got that 2021 championship. It's, she told me before the season, I'm not concerned about coming off the bench. I'm just, everybody's bought in and we know what the goal is. So I think it's a really positive sign for Chicago early on. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think, like you said, it speaks volumes and you have to have leadership. Veterans are so important. I mean, and if you can build around veterans, I think, what we were talking about before, again, going back to rosters and looking at some of those teams where they have a veteran that can kind of help right the ship, lead the way, get your younger players, but then also be a place where other players might find a home who they've kind of been drifting and searching and they've been bouncing around. And I didn't make the team that I was drafted on, 
but now I can find a place here. You know, Dana Evans is a great example. Other players like that, they want to win. There's no reason why you're going to get into this to not be successful. You're, you're trying to build that type of culture. I think the sky have really been able to put their finger on that. Absolutely. This is a team that for the next few years, I think is actually kind of set up, but now that they have this foundational piece in James Wade, and this is something I'm going to be writing about for the next at a certain point too this season. But I think if they win a championship this year, he turns from being one of the best coaches in the league to being a rare institution in the league. This is someone that brought two championships to Chicago if they win this year in a span of like four or five years. I mean, that, right. that's special. We don't see that a lot in this league and across all professional sports. So no. <laughs> that, that to me says a lot about what James Wade has built here and, and how everyone has just bought into not just his vision, but um, him collaborating to have that vision be more centralized with the team more than with anybody else. It's truly remarkable. Absolutely. Well, it's going to be so much fun to watch, especially over the last couple of the next couple of weeks. And I want everybody circle Saturday, May 28th, Chicago and the Aces. It looks as though it's going to be a heck of a matchup. James, I am so thankful and so happy that we got to have this conversation today. Tell everybody where they find you on Twitter, etc. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at James underscore M underscore K-A-Y. And I, t- I tweet a lot about the sky, WNBA, and, you know, is, you know, basketball hasn't really been on my mind over the, like, the last 24 hours, but, you know, it has been, uh, you'll be able to see my work there. I post all of my stories at the next, the Tribune, some market watch stuff if you're into financial stuff. So, um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and, um, yeah, just check out my author bio on at the next as well, because I've got a couple of fun things coming. So I'm excited. Well, fantastic. And you are just a depth of information. And so thank you. Thank you. You can find me at Missy Hydrick on Twitter and all of my amazing colleagues, including James, by following us at the next hoops and right here on at Locked On Women's Basketball. So I want to thank everybody for making this podcast, Locked On Women's Basketball, your first listen every day. Now, want to remind everybody, make your second listen, Locked On NBA. From the first jump ball of the play in tournaments to the last possession of the finals, which are right around the corner, Locked On experts are going to take you deep inside the playoffs, which have been so fun, with insight and analysis affecting all 30 teams. This has been a fantastic episode of Locked On Women's Basketball. Thank you for joining us, and stay tuned for so much more right here on this podcast.